Welcome to a new edition of the famous interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with husband, truth seeker, and Grace's dad, Scott Shera. He is a husband, a father of three, a Christian, and a business owner. He is someone with expertise in regard to hospital protocols that do not have the best interest of the patient in mind, but rather have the financial interest of the institution in mind and a genocidal interest that is occurring amongst those with special needs who are dying at an 11 times greater rate in hospitals since COVID began. His daughter Grace was a 19-year-old girl with Down syndrome that was killed by the actions of unethical medical personnel. Scott had to watch Grace die on FaceTime because he was prevented from being with her in the hospital, and no doctor or nurse would help save her life because of an illegal do-not-resuscitate order placed on Grace without family consent. He speaks to all of these things with documentation to back everything up. This is a heartbreaking story about a remarkable soul in Grace, and a story that needs to help change things dramatically for the special needs community and the world at large. Listen carefully to this interview. So how are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks good. for asking. Yeah, you know, I will tell you, somewhere in the cosmos of, of everything, probably we were led to each other. The background and what I have going on is probably... It's, I'm going to probably relate to you in a way that maybe a lot of people won't. Um, my son, Miles, is special needs, and I've lived that world since he was born in 2004. So I'm intimately woven into the special needs community, which includes Downs and, you know, the, the, the wide spectrum. Um, and my birthday is on October the 13th. I'll be 50 next week. Unreal. Yeah. Isn't that wild? The one-year anniversary for Grace's death, yeah. I know. Um, I saw that, and I saw it what are the chances, and then just, I mean, I saw your story, but after I reached out, I started reading into it and realized, wow, there's there's some connections here that are pretty uncanny. So um, first and foremost, thanks for taking a minute out. I know this has to be excruciating to, to, to talk about. Um, you know, I know time has a way of doing things, but I appreciate you sharing the story. Well, I'm glad to. I mean, this has become my mission. You know, so the special needs community, especially there, um, strangely, we, the last two weekends in a row, we went to Down syndrome walks in Green Bay and Appleton, our local community, and they, they reject us. They think that we're, we've lost our mind for, for doing what we're doing. But I mean, this is real stuff. I, I'm sharper than I ever have been. Uh, I, I've owned a business for over 30 years and this is what I'm doing now full time. I turn the business over to my guys and, um, this is, this is a big deal. I find it strange in the human condition that there's such a, a fast way to pass judgment on something like that. I mean, I, maybe it's just because I know this reality so intimately and I've lived it. I'm so involved. My, my son's name is Miles and he actually specifically biologically, scientifically speaking, has extra genetic material on its 15th chromosome, and that has led to developmental delays throughout his life. And, you know, in the very beginning when we were doing tests, you know, Angelman's was a part of it, Downs was a part of it. There was all of these different possibilities, but ultimately he just falls on the spectrum. He doesn't have autism, but he was he's on that spectrum. So the fact that the outside world would have any level of judgment to pass on you having a mission that supersede so many things and I think that's what I've realized 
and I'm certain you have too, when you become a part of the special needs community, you realize that the light turns on to so many different areas of reality that were in the dark for so long. Well, I agree, and I certainly didn't get, I certainly didn't expect to be rejected by that community. I mean, we're trying to help them. You know, the special needs people are a target of this whole thing. They're the first target. I mean, as I see it now, we're in the beginning of a worldwide Holocaust, and it's paralleling the German Holocaust step by step. So the first ones taken out then were the mentally challenged and the disabled. And, you know, that's the the number two cause of death. It's obviously not a cause, but the number two cause of death going into the hospital with COVID is disabled. I mean, number one is elderly. Well, neither one of those is comorbidities. So what's going on? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that can even go back to how, how do these things happen, you know, for kids that are fully functioning and all of a sudden they get a vaccine and they can't speak the next day and all of these other things. I mean, from medical uh, maladies. And, and and I've thought, historically speaking, since Miles was born, how did this happen? How did that chromosome get to that point? And I think that's another part of being a part of the special needs community is that it's all medically based. How are we getting to this point? Like when Miles was born in 04, it was like one in five or 6,000 kids would be on the spectrum. By the time he got to be three or four years old, it was one in like a hundred, and now I'm sure it's been chopped in half more. Like how? Bingo. Great- yeah, I mean, this is the the population reduction agenda has been going on for over a century. Yeah. yeah, that's right on. You hit the nail on the head. But nobody wants to wake up to this fact. You know, those statistics don't lie, and those statistics tell you a story. And, you know, last week, a few weeks ago, actually, I was at a Royals game, and they had a big come-from-behind win, like 11 runs. The place was going crazy. And it happened to be special needs day. Uh, One of our broadcasters, Rex Tudler, has a son who has Downs. And he has a foundation called Up, and all these kids were out there. And I'm just looking around, thinking about all these kids. And, they, you know, like I have a neurotypical uh, 16-year-old stepdaughter, and then I have Miles. And the things that are on the radars of these kids, I mean, they, thank God they don't think about the way that we all think about things. They're just out there, just in the moment. You talk about in the moment souls that exist on this planet. They just they they don't they don't get hung up on things, and they're just happy and they're just going with it. And it's like, isn't that the essence of what we teach teach kids when they're in kindergarten? Is to just let it go and be there, and and especially these kids retain that, and it's. I know it's neuro, it's because of their neurons and where they're at, but my God, they embody the best of what we want in human beings. That's uh, that's right on the money. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I miss most about Grace. She just was. Oh my gosh. All that that whole way she was. You can't du- you cannot duplicate it. You know, and my wife at one point because. I got married a few years ago, and we've been together for six years, so she kind of got indoctrinated in the special needs world. And she kind of looked over at me because most of the kids that were out there had downs. And she said, why is it that when you see, like, a special needs, you know, 
poster or an advertisement, it usually has a child with Downs, and I never thought about that. I'm thinking it's because of the sheer numbers. And the Downs kids tend to be pretty good looking, too. They just have a good look to them. And, and just, just the way they are. And, and, and I'm curious, do you know why that is and the sheer numbers of the special needs community, why that would be? It depends on what hat they have on. You know, yeah. certainly if I have the most positive view of it, it would be because it's easily seen. So, yeah. you know, a lot of, like with autism, it's not seen, right? You know, so, you know, and, and Down syndromes are, children still, you know, they, they're, um, you know, they're not in braces, you know, and head braces and everything else. So, I mean, they still fit. But you know, if I put on my most negative perspective, 67% uh, of Down's children are already murdered before they're born. So is it, is it to, um, I, I really become, um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist because this stuff is all true. But, I mean, you start wondering, what is the reason? You know, is it to, it's, I don't think it's to normalize it, um, which, I mean, that would be a positive if they wanted to normalize it because they, they're already said, you know, so when, when Grace was in the hospital, you know, now that I've dug into it, they referenced that she had Down syndrome 36 different times. In the in the doctor's reports, well, that's like saying I have gray hair thirty six different times. What's the reason yeah. for that? Yeah. Um, so I don't I, I I don't know. Your wife's got a great question there. You know, I almost try to diffuse it with Miles. Like we'll go to amusement parks and do certain things, and there's times when it comes in. But I've tried in his life to really diffuse that. You know, so that's not like a central part of what people tend to get involved with. You know, you take a human being based on who they are, and you're right. Yeah, what, what, why is it that that needs to be brought out? If you're getting, if the Hippocratic Oath is to take care of anybody no matter what, why are we pointing that out? How would that have to do with the way that you attend care for a biological human being? Right on. Yep. That's exactly right. You know, and so that's one of, of course, the many questions that we have unanswered that yeah, I presume we'll get answered someday, but it's going to be a bit. Well, let, let's get kind of let's let's get kind of into the story here to kind of give everybody context. First and foremost, I want to know from you. You know, what was your life like before you had Grace, and how did it change after you realized that you had this child and who she was, and and and. What what kind of light light bulbs went off for you, and how did your life change when you had Grace? Well, that's that's actually a, a fairly easy question because I remember it vividly. She was born in two thousand two. Uh, we had just bought some land uh, about an hour away, uh, a little over a hundred acres. We were going to build there, and um, I owned a strategic planning company. I'm legally a CPA, and I was doing high end strategic plans. Uh, for for business clients, um, so I mean our life was pretty set, and it was it was great from the humanistic perspective. We had everything we wanted. Um, we we're going to you know build a dream home on a hundred acres and you know all of that. And so when Grace was born, it changed things uh, quickly because as soon as we you know well, I was in the delivery room 
when she was born, I said to my wife, I said, I think she has Down syndrome. Well, then they confirmed it, which we welcomed that, thankfully. And then God blinded us really to her Down syndrome, but we knew then, based on all the services available, we're in a, a, a fairly populated county where we live, and we still live in the same house now because we didn't move. Uh, and the services available for her were higher than a remote county. And so we decided to not move. And then uh, I ended up uh, about the same time studying a different business that was a lot smaller scale and um, less intense and thought, well, this will be the business Grace and I do because it's, you know, it's simple. And we didn't need a lot of money. It just is a simple little business her and I would do. So everything changed. But, I mean, it was a welcome change. It certainly wasn't negative. And, um, you know, it ended up being way more positive than I would have ever thought in a million years because she influenced every single thing in our life. Everything revolved around her then, and uh, it was fantastic. One of the first things, I remember lots of things when she was little, but, I mean, as a dad, you don't get, I mean, I, I didn't anyway. I didn't get focused on the diaper changing time and all of that. But, you know, once she became, you know, my buddy that, she could ride with me when I was telling this story last week because I remembered it then. So my wife gave me the penance of going to Walmart, which I, I just do not like that store. And um, so I grabbed Grace and we're driving to Walmart. And so she must have been five or so at this time. You know, she's pretty young. And uh, so while we're driving there, I said, Grace, just so you know, only zombies shop at Walmart. And uh, so then we get to Walmart, and she pokes this guy, and she said, Dad, Dad, they're not zombies. I said, oh, my gosh. And then she got that literal sense of humor over time, and she became she became so funny in her own right. I love literal humor. and She just became funny because she got that. Yeah, we got to be really careful with Miles because I understand that. You know, he will – We'll say certain things, and he just kind of looks up, perplexed, and it's like, no, 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 we're we're joking around, and it takes him a minute to fog the lips because it is. It's just you literally irony and hyperbole and all those things just escape that, you know. And that's the beauty of them, though. It's like when they take things as, as tests. I remember with Miles, we would go to these special needs clinics that baseball players or people would put on, and there was a guy one time that had no arms, and Miles just went up and said. He said, what's the matter? Are you okay? And he was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, well, you, you don't have arm. Me just being literal. And obviously he can read that Miles' special needs. He was like, well, I was born this way. I don't know any other way. Miles will do that a lot, and they just go with it. And, you know, yeah. if you have a regular person that comes up, they're going to be like, dude, you better. You got about 10 seconds to get out of my face. <laughs> you know? I mean, right, they may right, not be right. that crass, but if you have somebody like that that's just this innocent flame of questioning, trying to figure things out, it just goes along so much better. And, you know, I always feel like half the time, and I'm sure you felt like this too, you just kind of have to be an interpreter when you're with somebody with special needs if they don't quite get it. Um, but Yeah, and that was that way for a while with Grace. No, no doubt about it. But then she, <laughs> she actually caught on and she got it. So, I mean, as she progressed, for example, she said to me one time, we, we, um, we deer hunted together. We were in the deer stand. She said, Dad... I have a joke for you. And so she made this up and she said, I said, I said, well, what, what's your joke? She said, where did these go to the bathroom? I said, I don't know. Where did they go to the bathroom? She said, the BP station. 
you can see she could see the literalness and make humor out of it. I mean, she she really was funny. Yeah, I I think that what I realized and I've realized more and more over time is that there are so many levels of life that people feel like they understand. We're always on this quest to figure out and to grasp the meaning behind all of these things. And these souls that come into our life, they have a way of, by just natural osmosis, giving us that gift. And, and whenever people say gift, it's like, it's kind of this, this term that's used over and over with special needs kids, but it's like until you really probe and think about it and get into it, it really is something that supersedes all of these things that humans race for, which is notoriety and money and all of these things. But when you have this soul, it really takes you to the essence and the alpha of why we're here on this planet. I think that's, that's exceptionally well put. Grace, so, grace embodied why we're here on the planet, no doubt. So talk to me a little bit about when you discovered, like, I'm not really that familiar with the Downs community. When when you discovered, and obviously you realized very early on, what were the steps that you took? Did she have to go through therapies? How were all of those things differently tailored for her to help her get acclimated and give her skills and help her deal with the reality that we all live in? Well, a few people were interjected into our life that that connected us to different different people, and so one of the things was a what's called a burst to three program, and that got Grace into signing right away. Uh, so developmentally, she she started walking at two versus one, um, but she she started signing through this birth to three program. Um, what they would do is they would work with her. Um, the muscles in her mouth, her tongue, and things like that to get her done talking. But really the, the key then was she got involved with what's called hippotherapy, which is interesting. I mean, it's, it's the, the humor of that is, so hippotherapy is Latin for horse therapy. So she started riding horse. Uh, of course, the horse, uh, if you ride a hippo, it's called horse therapy. Uh, but the so she started riding horse, and then she became a jabberbox, and that really opened things up. And she rode horse all the way up until she died, and she could ride by herself then. Uh, so she could she could lead the horse and guide the horse and ride the horse all by herself. But when she was three, of course, it was with a sidewalker. But she um, that got her out of signing and starting to talk. And you know, Grace could Grace could actually read and write. She was very high functioning. I think partially because of the horse riding, partially because of how God made her, uh, partially because we homeschooled and my wife did a great job, and then partially because she was never vaccinated. You know, it's amazing because they do call that hippotherapy, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, which is so strange. But, yeah, Miles did that, too, in the beginning, and they talked about the therapeutic benefits and, and how wonderful it is. And he really kind of did get into it, and then it just kind of, it was just something that he didn't grab onto. And it was just as recent, like, as a year or so ago, there was a horse farm near us, and we were going to go and volunteer and do some things. But it was so hard to kind of get him kind of to, to continue to do that. There's other things that have, have been kind of put in that place. But I find it fascinating to hear how well that benefited her, because 
that's all we've ever heard since Miles was young was that hypotherapy is kind of this magic wand that you wave over the over the brain and really helps them develop in a lot of ways. We definitely saw it. I mean, I I would encourage anybody to do it, that, especially if it's been recommended, because we we saw a huge benefit. And you know, it's a commitment. I mean, my wife had to take her. Uh, every single week, and I think there was times where we did it a couple times a week. And, but I mean, it's it's just what you do. Our life became that, but we didn't look at it. It's, it's interesting when you when you think about the way a special needs child is. Um, I told you at the beginning, God blinded us, so we we really couldn't see Grace's Down syndrome until she's with other kids. So that we did everything. Uh, even, you know, at the, she would have got her driver's license this, this last year. Uh, I taught her how to drive a car. Wow. No, but oh, it's really because of, of um, just looking at her. One of the doc, most of the doctors are negative. So when Grace was born, after they realized she had Down syndrome, they came in Cindy's room with me there about two hours after she's born and said, do you want to keep her? So just think about that attitude. Oh, my God. We just assume that we would not want her, that we'd want to oh put her God. up for adoption. And, you know, but then there was, she she had to go to the NIC unit in a different hospital because she had a hole in her heart. And um, there was a doctor there that, that said, you know, you can put the same child in two different families. And in one family, that child's going to excel and one, the child's not. And, the sky's the limit with your daughter, and uh, it's uh, you guys have a lot to do with it. And, and that was, and we believed that. And the sky was the limit, and uh, there was nothing she didn't do. The fact she kept me, that she kept me, she kept me young. Is the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen to that. That's horrifying that they would say that to you, Scott. I just can't imagine another human being coming in and questioning the mortality and the love that you've already accumulated after that amount of time. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing that we kind of almost put the medical profession on this God pedestal, but it's just not true. There's people in there that have hearts that should not be in that profession. That's nothing that anybody should have heard. So with what happened to Grace, so I'd look at it as when she came into this world, they had a bad attitude about her, and when she left this world, they had a bad attitude about her. And one, if there's one thing that I could tell anybody listening is to not put any faith in the white coat. So when I shine the light totally on me with Grace's death, she died because I trusted the medical profession instead of trusting God. And uh, ultimately, I, I would have never thought they would have an agenda to kill her. Um, but this is, is real stuff. They're not all in on it, so I don't want to to say blanketly uh, every doctor and nurse is, is corrupt, but um, there's a corrupt agenda, and they're using a substantial amount of money to buy these individuals' loyalty, and you have to be careful, and you simply cannot put any faith in them. We have been indoctrinated to put faith in the medical community, and that is not right. Oh, I get it. I I, I totally understand it. Um, 
so especially with what you said with, you know, the community lately kind of treating it the way they are, have you always kind of felt like being the parent of a special needs child that you've just, in, in an extra ordinary way, even prior to having Grace, you feel more alone and isolated? Actually, no. Um, only a few times in the 19 years we had her did you get that sense from people. Most of the time, it was it, they were welcoming. So I really didn't have that that sense. It was it was for the most part good. I mean, we had a few instances. I can remember one. My wife would tell you a lot more succinctly than I would, but where. Um, a mother wanted her kids to stay away from Grace on the playground, like they're going to catch Down syndrome or something. You know, it was kind of weird, but for the most part, no. I mean, it was people welcomed Grace, but I think part of it was because we we homeschooled, so that community is generally more welcoming than than a, a public school community. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. That's interesting. I think I felt like that too about Miles that there's a charm that he he has and he really, you know, just has a way with people. They just love him. They they embrace him. In fact, he's seventeen and, and he's not gonna drive. I mean I've done everything else with him, but he is not the kind of guy that can drive and he just got his first job this summer in a music park here in Kansas City and that's just still been mind-blowing to me that he's at that point where it's like his dream place, his world of fun, and there's a ride called the Mother Roller Coaster, and his dream in his life for years has always been, I want to be the ride operator, and he's actually working in the park. So to see those kinds of things happen with your children is rather monumental, and it sounds like from you, you know, there was just blinders on, you know, until you saw her interact with others that you, you put them out there to do whatever they can do, and I've always said that to him, too. I think that's very key for these special needs um, individuals to feel like they can do whatever they want. Right on. I mean, you're you're doing exactly what you should do, and it's fantastic. I, so he's doing the – he's a right operator right now? No, actually, he works in food service. So, okay. Um, but that's his dream, and, there, and actually the, one, the, the individual that runs the ride there, his name's Eric, and he's special needs, and he's been there for, like, 25 years. They did a big expose day on his work anniversary this year, and that's Miles' best friend. Like, he calls them. He got keychains made of them on the ride. Like, he waits for him to ride the ride with him and just absolutely idolizes him. And it's so cool that there's this friendship and there's this love, and, and he really wants to be this guy. And it's like, of all the role models that anybody can have, that, to me, seems like one of the most refreshing ones he could pick at. Wow. That, that, that's fantastic. Yeah. So it, it's amazing what they can do and how they blow you away. So talk to me a little bit more about Grace. Like, as, as you were raising her and, you know, you, you touched on, you know, her academics and all those other things. What were some other things that were very special about her that just will always forever put a smile on your face about who she was as a human? Um, I, I'll go through a couple. So, I mean, she had a sense of things that was that was um, interesting to me. When she was, meaning she had a connection with God that allowed her to see things. So one time early on, so, I mean, she would have been maybe seven years old in this time frame. My wife and I got into an argument 
and she said, uh, aren't you supposed to apologize? I said, yeah, that's right, Grace. So we apologized, but that wasn't enough. Then she said, aren't you supposed to kiss? <laughs> so where did she come up with that? <laughs> and I said, you're right, Grace, because, I mean, otherwise it's not real, right? If you can't show show the action followed by the words. And so, of course, I was ready, but my wife wasn't. <laughs> uh, and she called me uh, she called me earthly dad and so she knew who her heavenly father was I mean, and, and wow. who, who does that it was just yeah. interesting to me um, and, you know the other thing that she would do is that she uh, she didn't judge um, so you know, you and I each have people in our lives that we would prefer to be with versus not be with. And, you know, a lot of those happen at family reunions. So, you know, grace, that didn't matter. Everybody was exactly the same. And, oh, my gosh, that was fantastic. I can remember one time she walked up to this guy that I do not care for and you know, just greeted him and hugged him and I thought, I looked at her, that is a skill, it's a heart condition that I want to have, but um, this, she just did it, it was fantastic. It's, it's magical. I think I've heard that more specifically about the special needs community, maybe even the Downs community, that there's a level of spirituality that is definitely more profound. Um, which almost makes you feel like there's a level of that community that's like the chosen one. You know, not in some massive Hollywood movie sense, but just in general, there's this light. And I guess that's my question to you now, that as, as you come to grips with the grief and, and you're dealing with the loss, you know, you're a man of faith. How do you, how do you quantify all of the enormity of this? with your spirituality and the reality coming together. How do you make sense of this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, it's day by day I'm making more sense of it. Um, I have owned a business for over 30 years, and in business, one of the most important things you can do is plan. In this walk, you can't plan it. I have over 60 miracles documented since Grace died of doors that God has opened up. And so I just wonder, what is he going to do next? And when we decided to do this, meaning jump in with both feet and, you know, share the story and get it out there to help other people and um, everything associated with that, we just said to God, you know, whatever doors you choose to open, uh, an interesting door that he opened just to get us to that piece. Then, so we, we're there and we said, okay, we're, we're going to go all in. Uh, whatever doors you choose to open, we'll walk through. And if you choose to close doors and have us stop, make sure you let us know. Um, and it is unbelievable the, the doors. I mean, the people I've met and, um, I mean, you can't make up this stuff. I'm not used to that. I'm used to planning ahead and, laying out 
you know, one-year, two-year, five-year plans. Lots of times I'm looking at over 10 years out, and I can't look at all. You, know, you just can't look out at all because you don't know what's going to happen next. That's the interesting thing that happened when COVID began. I felt like I was living COVID for a long time when you do have, you know, a special needs child. You know, there was a level of just unpredictability that was always into it. Um, and, you know, my day, my, well, one of the things that I do primarily with my interviews is I interview jazz musicians. And I've gotten to a point where I understand that more intimately than ever. Their whole mantra is they go in to the unknown and create something wonderful that will happen once. And if there is anything that's the essence of us being alive on this planet, that has to be a central tenet. Wow. Yeah. That, that, uh, I would have never thought about that being analogous, but that, that's, uh, that's right. You, know, you asked, how, how do you make sense of all of this? Um, it, you know, our human brains can't make sense of this because it doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, in sort of just take Grace's death, you know, we, how do you make sense out of that? Uh, you know, if a person believes in God, which I do, you first come to grips with, okay, God is sovereign. So that means he knew the date, time, and the circumstances as to how Grace was going to be murdered before she was ever born. Um, so I use the word murdered. I can't I've come to believe that that's what happened. But then, you know, you start you know, after that happened for me, which at that point I had about 500 hours of research in Grace's case, then I started digging as to what is actually going on. And then you, if you dig far enough, you come across these agendas that are happening. And so now I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I have the research. I mean, I, I did the work to know this stuff is not conspiracy theory. It's conspiracy theory until until you prove it. And so Agenda 2030, for example, the sustainability agenda, the people behind this actually believe it. So they're simply operating based on their beliefs. I mean, they tell you what they're going to do. They tell you they want to depopulate the planet. And they've been doing it for a long time. COVID just allowed them to open up the floodgates. So what's going on now should not be a surprise. What happens, though, is the man on the street, um, even times when I have a chance to talk one-on-one -on -one with people, uh, you know, they generally do not want to believe this because if you believe it, it upsets the apple cart. Your normal world is not going to be the same anymore because your actions have to match your beliefs. And so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough road a hole with this story and getting this message out, but we're called to do it. It's interesting because, you know, I remember years ago when I was younger, probably in my early 20s, I was somewhere and at some kind of party or something, and somebody had mentioned they were in the military higher up and said, don't make no mistake, when wars are waged, it's population control, and they know it. And there's a level of that that's very true. You know, uh, governments have to regulate that. Of course, you know, the Chinese government, for instance, regulates it through very strict control of you can only have so many children. But otherwise, like with COVID-2, I felt the same way. You know, if this is something that was manufactured in the lab, 
the only reason why that would be manufactured to a good degree would be to look at the dictates of how that would affect the population, which would, you know, would be a part of saying everybody out being a very lethal thing. So I, I believe it. I don't, I don't ever rule any of that out. I think that those that do, you're right. They don't want to, they don't want to shake the apple cart. They don't want to go against the grain because then that inherently puts mistrust in the system that we're supposed to 100% believe unwaveringly and almost blindly. Well, I think that's, that's right on. And I mean, even if you don't believe that, what do you, you know, the person that doesn't believe it, what do you deal, how do you deal with the statistics that are out there? So, for example, the United States, we have 4.3% of the world's population. We have we are the only country on the planet with over 1 million hospital deaths related to COVID. We have the best medical facilities on the planet. So how can it possibly be that we are the only country with that many deaths? It makes no sense. The number two country on the list is India. India has less than half the deaths they have over four times the amount of population and their footprint on the planet is one-third of the United States' footprint. That makes no sense. So just with that set of statistics alone, and I can bear you with statistics because, like I said, I have a thousand hours of research in this. What is going on? You know, and I can so, tell you what's going on, but I mean, if just those statistics alone, if those would just get to the population, but they get, these are all hidden. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get to the kind of the, the crux here. So how did Grace go in the hospital? Kind of give me a timeline, and we've we've established the amount of research and what you've discovered and what you're doing to let the world know so that this is preventable hopefully, but talk to me a little bit about the timeline of how this happened. Yeah, so when we're walking through the timeline right now, one year ago, so September 28th, Grace got a sniffle. We had been prepared with the frontline doctor's protocol, so we had everything. So we just assumed if one of us got a sniffle, let's go on the ivermectin right away. We're already on vitamin protocol, so, um, so we started ivermectin right away. Uh, we had plan on going to a wedding on October 1st, and Grace was fine, but it was like a cold or you know, hay fever or whatever. That's what we thought. So we thought, well, we better test her. So my wife drove into town, got a home test. We tested her. She tested positive. So that was really the first mistake. And, and again, if I could emphasize one thing, so I, I already said one thing, which was don't trust the medical profession. But there's a bigger thing than that, is take a look through the lens that you view the world and ask yourself, am I programmed? So even though we were, you know, we were prepared with the frontline doctor's protocol, blah, 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 the propaganda at the time was still influencing us. So even the frontline doctor's protocol it said specifically if the, if oxygen saturation goes below 94, you know, take you got to take action, and um, you know, as it isn't that oxygen's not important. You know, last time I checked, we need it to stay alive, but it isn't at that level. So 
So Grace's oxygen on October 6th went down to 88 to 89%. And unfortunately, we perceived that as an emergency. And I say unfortunately because I went to a different hospital three days after Grace died. And they saved my life. They turned me around in 24 hours. I just about died the first night, and they turned me around because they followed a different protocol. I'm not, I'm not addressing the oxygen situation specifically, but what I know from lots of other people we've talked with now is that most people with oxygen saturation at the level Grace was at were turned away from the hospital and told to stay home, monitor your oxygen. If it gets down into the low 80s, come back. So I was in the low 80s. I had a hard time breathing. I had to go to the hospital. But Grace didn't have to go to the hospital. She had no other symptoms. She was fine. And that, so now when we're in the emergency room, when they recommended that she be admitted to the hospital, they told me specifically, we'll just get her on oxygen and the steroid, monitor for three or four days, and then she'll be home. If they would have done that, Grace would be alive. And that was the first objection I had because I said, well, I'll be staying with her then. And they said, well, you can't. I said, well, then I'll be taking her home because there's no way I was going to leave her. You know, I didn't know anything about these killing protocols. I knew nothing then, but I wasn't going to leave her alone. And uh, then they had a meeting and about two hours later came back and they said, we decided you can stay. And... You know, so that started the whole process. Ultimately, the question that comes up a lot is, why did you and Grace have to go to the hospital with low oxygen versus other people are not impacted? And in some of the research, I've, there was a doctor in South Africa by the name of Dr. Chetty. His link is on Grace's website. And he, he uh, helped over 8,000 COVID patients, and he found out with the Delta variant that if you're if you have a genetic disposition to clot and produce inflammation, you'll end up with low oxygen. And I have both of those conditions. So very likely Grace inherited those conditions from me and so that's why we both had low oxygen. My wife's symptoms during that same period of time were significantly worse, but her oxygen maintained at ninety five percent plus the whole thing. You know, but when I think about this, I know with Miles, there were some friends over the pandemic that we would go on, we would go on walks. And the special needs community is m much more susceptible than the regular population. So I, I don't find it on my end unfathomable that you got to this point and did that. I do understand what you're saying about being careful and, you know, there's a level of that that maybe shouldn't have been hospitalized. But I don't know that there's any way, shape, or form in any rational sense that that you could be questioned for the fact that you were really operating off the fact that there was a susceptibility factor and you 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 wanted to be more safe than not. Well, I agree with that, but still, is is the susceptibility objective? So the propaganda that we received beforehand. So Grace is on Medicaid. We received letters from Medicaid uh, from the Down syndrome community. Your your daughter is at high risk. Uh, she can be first in line for the jab. You know, you and you keep getting pounded with this stuff over and over. And you know, COVID. You know, these death numbers that are on the television every night. You know, so even though I was wise to the jab and I had a healthy distrust for the government, 
all this stuff that, you know, when I think back to it now, it did influence me enough to take her to urgent care. And, you know, today I would not take her to urgent care. There's no way. And it's not because she, she was killed. It's because I've woken up to um, not only technically what you can do yourself, you can get your own oxygen generator and things like that, but also from if, if COVID would not have ever been announced, we would have just thought it was a cold and Grace would be alive because she would have walked through it. She would have, there was nothing that she had that the hospital treated her for that would not have just cured itself at home. Yeah, that's interesting. It's totally interesting you say that because, you know, Miles, we, Miles and I got it in November of 2020. And I, my wife, stepdaughter, and, and mother-in-law all live in the house, and they didn't get it. My genetic disposition is more similar to Miles. I mean, we masked and we stayed separate, but they didn't get it, and we had it. In fact, Miles just got it recently, again, surprisingly. And the only reason why I went to the doctor's office was because I, I wanted to take a test to see, but I knew that it was viral, and I was just going to, you know, rest and fluids and do all of those kinds of things. So I guess the part of me is already on that cerebral part of, you know, I, I try not to get to a point where I'm too overreactive with things. I mean, and and um, and maybe that could be a fault of mine to a certain degree too, but I've always been like, well, you know, let's not rush out to the hospital or the doctor or whatever. Let's just, let's see what's going to happen because what are they really going to do? You know, what is it that they're going to magically do that's going to be different from, what we would already know that we would do to combat something. You know what I'm saying? Correct. Um, That's right on. So, yeah, I will tell you one thing, and and you might find this interesting. Um, After he got COVID in November of 2020, in early January, I got probably one of the most frightening calls of my life. I have split custody. We have 50-50, my ex-wife and I, and I got a phone call that basically she said, you need to rush over here right now. I think Miles is dying. I I just dropped the phone. I was in a fog. I almost like went into out of body and I just like stumbled outside like a zombie. My wife was asking and I just inherently got in the car and started and just started going. And I called her and told her what was going on and then called back over there. And he had had a seizure um, and it was pretty intense. He had never had one in his life. He was 16 years old. There was no reason at all from his medical standpoint that he would have had one at that age. It would have happened earlier on. And you know, they said, well, it's, it's, a, it's a level of epilepsy that he has right now. And I, I just was confused the whole time. And we went through everything and the tests and all the follow-ups. And I'm going to tell you what I really think happened. I really think that him catching COVID scrambled things in a way that just threw things off enough for that to happen because he's never had one since. And the doctors won't even field it as a, as a legitimate option. But I genuinely believe that things because of COVID, are scrambling up digits in our sequence that we just aren't even going to be aware of or be, or the medical world won't even be cognizant of for at least another five or ten years. I think that that's, that's again, right on. It's nice to talk to somebody who is who's awake with this at a practical level, which you are, and it's, it's, uh, this is really good. Well, and I guess that's the thing that I was kind of trying to get to about feeling alone. And I understand where you're going with that. I think what I, but more of what I was thinking was 
being a parent of a special needs child, you know, with everyone that's around me, and I've lost a lot of family because of this, um, just because of the reality of it. it. It's a lonely place because you just don't, there's just people that don't understand this. And quite frankly, I've spent a lot of time with even good friends of not wanting to get into certain aspects of this too much because I just don't want to be a Debbie Downer, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, because there's realities that go into this that are magnificent, but there's also realities where it's like, man, I just don't want to bring the room down. And that's by no way cheapening or being negative about Miles because, you know, I just have to be as strong as I can. And I know you too. I mean, even now with Grace being gone, I'm, my God, you you have to muster up a level of strength that I can't even imagine. I mean, when I got your materials and read through what happened, and when I really realized what happened, I had to turn away from the screen and knock me down. I just... I get it. They, it's, they have uh, been given a gift to be able to compartmentalize the story when I when I do it, but I've lost it a few times on air uh, because uh, you know when people start asking a lot of questions about Grace's life, that's what hits me because I I never miss somebody like this. Oh man, uh, I, just, I I can't even I I can't even imagine and. At one point, Miles had, um, about a year ago, um, in 20, July 2021, he had a really bad, he had a bladder infection, which is rare for boys. And because, in a long story short, his urethra, there was a blockage, and we ended up dealing with it. But he went to the hospital, and he almost flatlined one night. And, you know, it really woke things up in us. It woke, you know, my stepdaughter up and, my immediate family who's been dealing on a staff level of dealing with things that are really hard with special needs um, children. I mean, I've been there. I'm so close to it. People can say things, and I'm just not going to be cognizant of it because I'm so close to it. And I'm a 50-year-old man, and there's things that I'm just not going to be able to change about my perception of things. But And I try to. I try every day to be more, you know, not only patient with him, but just patient with the rest of the world. But Man, I mean, I've had to cross that bridge in my mind. Like, you know, you just have to cross those mortality bridges because, you know, this this, this, this is temporal for every one of us. None of us are going to make it out alive. But I, I do think about the reality of all of it and everybody you touch is that we are fortunate to be able to walk down that road. You are, too. Um, and... <laughs> And I'm getting choked up. Just... Yeah, Grace. Uh, you know these these anniversaries are the because it's anniversaries of everything. Grace, you know the one year anniversary of her death is coming up. But all these days, you know, I remember what happened on each one of these days. And uh, she a week ago from this last Thursday would have been her twentieth birthday. And you know that's uh, that's another major. But it's, I'm not at the point yet where I can, you know, people will say, you know, be thankful for the 19 years that you had her, which oh, I get yeah. that. I, I'm not yeah. there yet. Of course, I'm thankful yeah. for it. It's not the point. It's, I am very thankful for it, but I'm not there where I can see that in the, the way God wants me to see it. I have had knowledge of that, but my heart is still wants her back. And yeah, and, and you can't put a timeline on that. My my Miles is godfather. 
uh, Mark, his wife, passed away from cancer um, some years back. And, and, you know, he's just gone through this litany of everybody. It was very sudden. I mean, she'd been sick, but it, 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 it happened really fast. And, you know, I'd go over and he'd have his clothes in the closet, her clothes in the closet. There was all these things that everybody was just, like, questioning. And I just, I've always told him, no one can tell you how to do this. This is not for anybody to dictate your grieving schedule. You do it when you're ready, and if it's way past what these people that are in the medical field or therapy field say it, say it is, too bad, because they're not you. It's like, what do they say in the autism world? You meet one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism. That applies to all of us. And <laughs> I've never heard that. That's good. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's true, and but all of us are that, you know, whether you have a, a, a developmental disability or irregular individual, we're all the same. And I've always told him, I, I recently told him, you know, our, our visits are a little bit less frequent, but I remember telling him, you know, about two or three weeks ago, this is something that I will never waver with you. You have to do it the way that you do it. And that's just the way it is. And I hope that somewhere in this grieving in this world of COVID that we've gone through, that people can be more empathetic, especially with what you're trying to do. Instead of judging you for what you've gone through and how could you question these things and making you feel like you're being ostracized, you know, no one's going to understand that, that the magnitude, the enormous magnitude that not, words aren't going to be able to encapsulate of what you're going through. And if you can spend the rest of your days fighting the memory of this child you brought into this planet that was wrongfully taken from you, no one on this planet should question you for that. Well, thanks for that. I think that that's right. I, I get why people do question it because, you know, if they believe what I'm saying, that has to change things. Uh, and so when people do question, I, I give them a question back. I've been asked a few times, why don't you just let this go and, and get on with life like a normal dad? And my response is, if you knew where a serial killer lived and worked, do you now have an obligation? And so I do know where two serial killers live and work, and I have an obligation. You know, if your daughter... And I also asked him if your daughter uh, was was killed in a hospital and she was killed by a med combination that would have taken anybody out. And in order for that combination to happen, not only did the doctor have to order it, the pharmacist had to sign off, the hospital alarm had to be overridden, and the nurse who gave her the meds had 14 years of ICU experience. So it, it wasn't medical malpractice which implies an accident. And then eight minutes after they maxed out a drug that they thought would take her out, they put an illegal DNR order on her. The doctor put a DNR order on her. Okay, so now you have those facts and it's your daughter. Are you going to not do anything? You know, if you aren't going to do anything with that, I think, uh, uh, well, I mean, that's pretty passive. You don't have a soul, as far as I'm concerned, if you don't do anything about that. I mean, it, it, this, 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 the whole, everything that you've explained to me up to this point, and, and I'm so glad you're getting it out there and you're doing podcasts, this seems to me as though this could be a well-funded serial podcast that could go through some hours of this to really wake people up, or even a Dateline episode. This is something that needs to be magnified and brought out, you know, 
this is a big deal, you know, and this isn't something that needs to be just passively, well, you, you get on with it. You know, that's just, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I am, of course, in agreement with you. And Sometimes you don't realize what certain communities are like and what they're going through until you're actually a part of it. And I am a part of this community. And I'm also very affected and uh, moved by not only your passion, but what's happened here. And I think there needs to be a level of awareness and justice that goes into this instead of um, the alternative. That, that's, that's my thought on it. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm very thankful for this opportunity, Joe. This was it's just nice to meet you, and you know, you the coincidences that you started this call with is right on. I mean, you're going to be 50 coming up here on Grace's death date, so that's for those of you listening that want to send Joe a gift, it's eight October 13th. Scott, <laughs> um, yeah. thank you very much for for opening up. I know this has been, I'm, I'm sure every time there's a level of this that's excruciating, but I hope that in very small ways it's cathartic to get that story out and every little bit helps. Oh, it, it, it does, for sure. And I'm, I'm appreciative every time I have an opportunity to, to talk about grief. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, and music around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Love.